Hello, this is More Tea. For those of you who are looking for a little bit more of our Tea and Medals podcast, I'm Jess Bracey, one of the producers on the show, and I'm here with Darren, our host. And we're here to talk about some of the stories that complement our main episodes. But this time, we've got quite an extraordinary story. Yeah, so this one's a little bit different. Um, This one happened in the UK, which we haven't heard before. So we're going to be speaking to Ronnie. Ronnie's in Abu Dhabi, um, deployed over there, but... Ronnie's dad, Eric, was a winchman way back in 1962, so 60 years ago. And a a winchman is the person who hangs out the side of a helicopter on a long piece of rope and rescues people from various situations in what they find themselves, often out at sea or in the mountains. And Eric was there in the very early days of this capability, um, a lot more kind of basic and rudimentary to what people might kind of picture now as uh, the RAF rescue capability. So let's hear from Ronnie about his dad and the award of the George Medal. It was a very busy time for the helicopter search and rescue force because they uh, they were suddenly a new capability. They didn't really uh, have the level of sophistication they have now and they didn't know how to, uh, well, they knew how to operate the helicopters in search and rescue, but they were still learning things all the time. Uh, and they, they weren't trained as paramedics or anything like that. Uh, so they were pioneers of their of their field. And on this occasion, my uh, dad, Eric, he was stationed down at RAF Chivna early November 1962. Uh, they got a call out to a ship called the Jean Gouji, which was a, a French fishing trawler. And it had run aground on the cliffs at Land's End. So the ship had had jammed itself against the cliffs and was lying on its side with the uh, the waves breaking over the top of it, flooding the ship. Uh, and my dad and his crew, um, a guy called Jack Cannon, and the pilot was a guy called Trevor Eggington, uh, who is a, a legendary helicopter pilot, um, or he was. Anyway, they, they arrived on the scene and they couldn't find anyone alive. Uh, my dad went down on the winch and they, they pulled a few bodies out of the sea which he, he always describes as the worst job you have to do as a winchman, uh, but nonetheless, they have to do it. And they then uh, went back to the naval base at Caldrose uh, to get some fuel. And uh, uh, while they were refueling there, they got uh, a call to say that people had seen someone waving from the wheelhouse of the ship, which uh, I'm sure you can imagine when this ship has been flooded for hours and hours, um, no one really believed there could be anyone alive. Uh, so anyway, they they got they finished refueling pretty quickly and uh, got themselves back uh, onto the scene and hovered their uh, whirlwind. So you know it's a single engine helicopter, quite a, you know very old looking helicopter by today's standards. Um, it did have a jet engine. It was one of the newer ones with a jet engine, but only one engine. And they hovered uh, quite low over the ship. It looked like there were potentially three people in the wheelhouse. It actually turned out there were two. Uh, But my dad went down on the uh, cable. And uh, when he tells the story, he says he he looked out of the door. He sat on the edge of the doorway and he looked down at this boiling sea that was just covered in oil and fishing crates and, and the ship appearing in and out of the sea. And he just said, send the strop down to them. Uh, and he said he remembers the navigator, Jack Cannon, looking at him, but he didn't say anything. And, and they wound out the winch 
Uh, and as they did so, it just streamed out behind them in the, in the strong wind. And uh, my dad looked down and he knew that if these guys were going to survive, somebody had to get them. And he knew that somebody was him. So he said to Jack, bring the winch back, bring the winch back. Uh, and he hooked on. And before he went out of the door, uh, Trevor Eggington, the pilot, said Smudger, which was my dad's nickname. He said, Smudger, don't come off the cable. Um, my dad says, he said, yeah, yeah, Trevor, I know. And uh, Trevor like, looked around as much as he could from the cockpit, pointed at him and said, no, Sergeant Smith, this is an order. You are not to come off the cable. And, uh, and my dad said um, that made him a bit more scared, actually. <laughs> but even in those days, they followed the same doctrine they do now, which is if any member of the crew says, no, this is not safe, they will call it off. Uh, but none of them did. They all were very well aware of the risk they were taking. Uh, the helicopter was uh, pretty low and the, the windscreen wipers were going because of the spray uh, from the waves. And they winched my dad down uh, and he went into the ship and he, uh, he, there was a French sailor there who he said pretty much just fell into his arms. So he got the strop around him and, and did what they call a double double lift. So uh, the winchman wrapped himself around the survivor and they winched him up to the helicopter and got him back into the helicopter. And then uh, my dad said, there's another guy down there. So they uh, winched him back out again. And when he got in the ship the next time, uh, he uh, the, the ship was being hit by the waves. And he realized uh, it, this was going to be very difficult. So he, he got hold of the second guy and did the same and took him back up to the helicopter. Uh, and the, the guys in the helicopter managed to shout in their ear that there was someone else alive down there. So my dad went down for a third time, um, but he couldn't find anyone. And he said that the ship was on its side and he was trying to get himself down the corridor that goes from the wheelhouse uh, goes backwards a little way uh, past the radio room. Uh, he couldn't get very far down it, but he, he said he was shouting. He knew it was a French ship, so he was shouting, Bonjour, je suis anglais, which is about all of the French that he knew. Um, but there was no response. But when he tried to come back out, his cable had got hooked around the, um, around the ship's wheel. So, it, you know, he knew this was really dangerous, that if, if it tugged on the helicopter, then they would have to cut the cable and leave him there. Um, and uh, there's no way he would have been rescued. So he uh, basically ducked himself down under this oily water uh, and hauled on the cable and managed to uh, disin disentangle it. It just got hooked around the wheel. So he, he pulled it out and threw all of the cable out of the door and jumped out as quick as he, uh, he was able. I mean, he was obviously soaking by this stage and, and the immersion suits they used to wear in those days uh, let a fair bit of water in. So he, he was probably weighing a good few kilos more than he, he really did with the amount of water in his boots. Uh, and then they winched him out uh, and back up to the helicopter uh, and then flew the short distance over to the cliffs. Uh, where they, they handed these uh, two French guys who were, you know, pretty hypothermic by then. They handed them over to some medics. And, uh, uh, and as, as my dad says, he was, uh, <laughs> he was feeling pretty sick by then. Um, and uh, uh, they, they took a little break and then they went out to do what they call clearing up the area, which basically means pulling more bodies out of the sea if they can find them. And uh, his navigator, Jack Cannon, 
very kindly when they found a body said hey hey eric I'm, i'll go down and do this one um so he went down and pulled the body out uh and you know to be quite honest it, it's an iconic search and rescue mission i was going to say that it's you know you've painted this picture of you know very rudimentary early days of this this kind of capability but this particular rescue was captured on you know on video and i've seen the video it's hard to describe how rough that sea was the ship was being chucked around and then you know there's your dad on the end of a on the end of a cable it's really difficult to kind of put that into to words isn't it it, it is, and it's very unusual because of the because of the nature of the wreck being right on Land's End. Uh, when you look at a picture, it almost looks as if you could jump across, but of course, it's it's far further than you could. Um, but they they managed to rescue some guys with uh, uh, rocket lines and a breeches boy. So it was that close that the the guys on the cliff helped. So it was quite an important rescue from the teamwork point of view. But because it was there for some time, a lot of sightseers had turned up. So there's actually uh, video footage from professional cameramen and uh, uh, professional news people. Uh, there were also a lot of amateur um, cinema people. You know, lots of people had cine, cine cameras. It was, it was probably a TikTok of its day. Uh, the cine camera and quite a lot of people had these things and they were they were clockwork and used a little eight millimeter film uh, and uh, over the years my dad has been sent all sorts of uh, footage from people uh, sometimes people say hey my, my uh, granddad died and I, I found this in his archive uh, and thought you might like to have a copy of it so it, it's pretty unusual actually to have high quality footage and photographs of someone actually winning a bravery medal uh, you normally get pictures of them being awarded the medal so this is really unusual to actually see someone doing the mission at, you know in real time um, and uh, yeah we're obviously very very proud to uh, um, have all those uh, photos uh, and, and me and my brother we, we both have uh, a copy of the photo on our wall and I, I've always grown up with this quite iconic picture to me of, of a man hanging under a helicopter over a, uh, a ship. And, um, you know, you can probably hear it makes me a bit emotional yeah. to think that's my dad. Tell us about your dad. What, you know, what, what was he like when he wasn't saving lives? Well, <laughs> like everyone's dad, he, he's the best dad in the world, you know. And um, he, uh, well, he spent 12 years in the Air Force and, and he left um, not long after that rescue, a few years later. Um, and uh, 12 years was one of the sort of natural break points in those days for your, your Air Force contract. Uh, and he went and did all sorts of different things, including selling uh, safety equipment for Martin Baker, who make the ejector seats. Uh, he ran his own business for a number of years. But, but actually, he also spent 15 years uh, running the Air Cadet Squadron in Woking. So he really gave a lot back to his community. And he still lives in Woking, actually. And, and, and if I go into, into Woking, I invariably meet someone, uh, usually of my age or a little bit younger or older, who says, ah, oh, your, your, your dad was a, a legend, you know, say hello from me, you know. And there'll be a cadet that remembers my dad very fondly for uh, uh, the time he put into the Air Cadets. But um, unfortunately, he has Parkinson's, which is, it affects his speech, which is why I'm doing this interview instead of him. Um, he's, he's very happy for people to hear the story, but he does always say, you know, I got the medal, but that 
that was for all of the force, you know. He says, if I tell you the stories of my colleagues who went and did equally brave things, but they were further offshore, there were no cameras or, or there was some other uh, little aspect to it that, that meant it wasn't recorded in the same way or not reported in the same way. He, he always says, you know, that the, I got the medal, but really it was for the search and rescue force. And, and if any other one of the other winchmen had been on that day, they would have done exactly the same thing. It's the it's one thing that we hear from everybody we speak to that, you know, the, the recognition of a point in time is so difficult to quantify. But they all say, you know, this was this was everyone's incident, everyone's medal, everyone's um, would have done it the same as I did it. But at the end of the day, he did do it and he was recognised with the, the George Medal, which is um, no small feat, as we have learned throughout this series, those and not given out lightly, along with any bravery award. And we were talking earlier about, you know, these these kind of rescues don't, they never come on a nice sunny day. They're always in the worst <laughs> of conditions, aren't they? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, um, it, it, you know, I think it's the nature of it. Ships tend not to uh, run aground or have accidents when the weather's nice and everyone can keep a good lookout. Um, no one will ever know why this ship uh, ran aground. Um, it, it ran aground in the night and, and anyone who could have answered that question was killed. So we'll never know why the Jean Guji uh, ran aground. Uh, but um, my dad still has letters from uh, the families of, of the guys who were rescued, who he rescued, uh, thanking him, uh, which is, is a lovely thing for him to have. Uh, and because of the publicity around it, he, he also... Um, and he, you probably won't remember it. I barely remember it. The Eagle comic, uh, which was a, a real boy's own type comic when I was uh, quite young uh, and, you know, had all sorts of stories of daring do and all that sort of thing. And they, they actually wrote a cartoon strip of Dad's Rescue. Uh, he's, he's much like me, about five foot six and, uh, and not that heroic looking, although, of course, he's, he's very handsome, just like me. But they've drawn this character who's about seven feet tall with a jutting square jaw and muscles on top of muscles. So that's a lovely thing to have as well. I, I love um, the title, the word daring do. That's probably could, yeah. it could, our podcast could have been called Tales of Daring Do um, instead yeah. of Tea and Meadows. <laughs> well, but what's interesting about the guys he worked with as well is that um, in those days in Search and Rescue, and I know Search and Rescue does still win uh, bravery awards and, and they probably deserve far more than they get. But in those days, it really was pioneering time. And when we, uh, about 25 years afterwards, we got some of the people from the squadron together. And, and obviously, sadly, there's not many of them around now. But, but 25 years later, we got them together in a pub. And I think we had four, uh, four very uh, prodigious uh, or very high-level bravery awards and two world records sat in the room between five people including the world helicopter speed record. Um, so, you know, I mean, those really were pioneers and they did some amazing stuff. And Winchman I've met since, uh, most of them say, I know that rescue and that was an important one. And, and we still learn lessons today from the things they did then. Yeah. And, and obviously the RAF went on to maintain that capability for, you know, many, many years afterwards. And, uh, you know, their iconic yellow helicopters, rescuing people from all around the country mostly the coast but also the mountains and wherever else was inaccessible you know were 
um, prevailed for a long, long time. And it's only recently now that that capability has left the RAF, hasn't it? Yeah, and uh, the Navy used to do it as well, although my dad won't thank me for uh, uh, giving them a, a big up. But they were very professional too. And I, I'm certain that Bristos who do it now are thoroughly professional as well. Uh, the, the ethos will have carried on. Um, but uh, when I uh, was uh, a young uh, flying officer at one of my first postings at RF Coltshaw, my dad's background sort of prompted me to go and uh, uh, make myself the, the liaison officer for 22 Squadron, who were based there at the time with Wessex. Um, and that, they all knew dad's rescue. And when he came to visit, they, they looked after him so well. Uh, and I, I've got very fond memories of, of going out and being a practice uh, victim for them and floating around the North Sea, uh, even in the winter, uh, in, an, in an orange life, uh, life raft until they come and uh, pick me up. Um, but, yeah, I, I used to enjoy going and working with those guys. They yeah, always have been a very professional bunch of people, I think. Ronnie Smith talking about his dad, Eric, who was awarded the George Medal back in 1962. And I've been like a dummy for a winchman in Cyprus a few years ago. And that's Mediterranean conditions. I cannot imagine how tough that must have been for the crew back in 62. Yeah, I wouldn't describe you as a dummy, Jess, but I know what you mean. Yes, and I filmed those winchmen out in uh, in Cyprus. And it is a hard job, uh, even in sunny conditions. So imagine that. I've seen this video. It is the most horrendous of conditions. You know, the boat's being thrown around the waves are huge it's been bashed on the rocks and there is this guy on a really small thin rope just being lowered down onto it more than once so yeah completely you know hats off to eric and all of those uh people who do this day to day you know they're just another form of the emergency services and that's what tea and medals is all about is uncovering those stories of just remarkable people that don't feel like they've done anything that special but their job They never do. They just think they're doing their job and anyone would have done it. But obviously, as we've learned, not everyone does it and they're the people that do do it and that's why they're recognised as such. And if you haven't seen the full series of TM Medals just yet, definitely worth checking that out on the BFBS Creative YouTube. And if you are listening, please leave us a few comments on what other stories you'd like to hear. That's all for now. If you like the series, rate it, leave us a review and share it with your mates.